I want to take a moment before we really get into this is I want to pray for everyone who's sick, uh, including my daughter. She had a fever up until this afternoon. I know several of our, our members and our leaders, they themselves have been sick or under the weather. Um, this hot to cold thing just never really works out that well. But let's, let's pray for them and we're going to get moving. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Uh, we thank you in spite of illness. We, uh, we thank you in spite of suffering and pain and trauma. Lord, we know that you are good and every perfect gift comes from you. Father God, in this moment, I pray that we shed out the world like everything that uh, was following us in here, whether it was concerns about an upcoming surgery, concerns of a bill to be paid, concerns of a child or spouse, uh, just concerns even within our own self, an anxiety or fear or worry that would distract us from your glory. Father God, tonight I just pray that your Holy Spirit will come. It will open our ears. He will soften our hearts that we might receive your good word. Lord, as we dive into your word, let us uh, glean from it that we might apply it to our lives and to grow in faith and understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm trying something new. So newness doesn't always work, right? Sometimes when you try a prototype, it works well. Sometimes not so much. But I'm going to try something new, and it's called the slide. So far, so good. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the parables. Parables of Jesus. What was I typing? We are covering the parables of Jesus, but tonight we're covering the parable of the sower. I've already messed up, and it's my first slide. You can laugh. It's okay. I'm laughing on the inside. First and foremost, I want to start off with this scripture, John 14, 26. Uh, I want to let you in in a bit of my life. Uh, I'm 37 years old. I'm a native to Tampa, and I grew up with a reading disorder. I grew up with dyslexia and a slow learning development. I actually, in fourth grade, was at a second grade reading level, and when I entered ninth grade, I was still about a sixth grade reading level. I could allow that to hold me back. I could allow what either Satan was throwing at me or just whatever was going in my mind to hold me back from doing something more. But I want you to know that, that I believe each of you is capable of knowing, learning, and growing in God's Word. So I have gone to college. I actually learned two foreign languages, Greek and Latin. I don't speak them, but I've learned them. And I've finished and I've graduated with my master's. But my, my heart and growing in scripture and understanding comes from this verse right here. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, do not be weary about learning scripture because the Holy Spirit is your helper. The, the sheer reason why I know the scriptures that I know is one and foremost, the Holy Spirit. And the second is I put it a priority. We all have priorities in life. Whether you are a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, uh, if you work in the school systems, if you're a, a builder, 
It doesn't matter your career or what you are, but you've become an expert in your field, yes? Yes. It, it, but what has it taken to become an expert in your field? Time, hard work, and dedication. But the best thing, the most important thing, the foremost thing for us is to know God's Word so we can apply it to our hearts. But we're not doing it alone. We're not doing it under our own strength. We do it with the help of God who wrote the Scriptures. And that's good news. Okay? So be of good cheer. When I rattle off Scripture and verses and I rattle off these texts, trust me, I've put 15, 20 hours into this before I started getting up here and start rambling stuff off. But ultimately, for all of us, as we grow in faith and understanding, comes from the truth found in this verse. All right, let's dive in. So we are going to be talking about the story that Jesus tells, the parable of the sower, and it starts in Matthew 13. So whether you have your Bibles or your e-Bibles, or if you just literally want to follow along with the screen, that way you don't have to flip and turn pages. It starts, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat down by the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he said to them many things in parables, starting with the parable of the sower. And it says, the sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang out, but since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out, choked them. And other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. He who has ears, let him hear. Now what we find is this beautiful story here. It's also found in Mark chapter 4, and it's found in Luke 8, and we'll get to that in a minute. So who was Jesus talking to? Oh, I didn't even click along. I was just reading. Oh, see? Newness. Where was Jesus? Jesus and I share a deep heart. We had a great love for the ocean. Uh, it said he was beside the sea in Matthew 13. In Mark 4, it says that he was beside the sea and in a boat. Uh, and in Luke 8, it says that he doesn't actually say where he was. But all three of them say that a great crowd followed behind him, a very large crowd, and a great crowd. And, and the truth that we find in each of the gospel writers is a slightly different perspective. If all of us in this room were to give an account of what happened even tonight, your account would be mostly the same, but there would be something that would stand out differently than others. And that is what we find in all the Gospels. Is some, some writers found some things more relevant to point out than others. Matthew spends a lot of time pointing out the prophecies that were fulfilled. Mark wrote very quickly. It's 16 chapters, and it's very punchy. It's just one, two, three. It just skips right along. Luke, being a doctor, and all the eyewitnesses that he interviewed produced a very large volume which is followed by another large volume called the Book of Acts. And then you have the Gospel of John, which really gets into the conversations that Jesus had more than his teachings and miracles. But this is what we see. So your first two questions, who is Jesus talking to? A large crowd. What is he talking about? 
he's talking about in this one, the sowers. Specifically here in 13, we see that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. The word of the seed that the sower is spreading. So as I stand up here and teach God's word to you, I am sowing seeds. Every time Pastor Matter, Pastor Craig, or another pastor stands up on stage and preaches God's word, he is sowing seed. The fact is actually that any time that you talk about Jesus with someone else, you are sowing seed. There's the, 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 the sower himself is not the key to this parable, but what is being sown and where it falls matters. So here in Mark 13, we see that the one who hears the word, which is the seed, and then Mark 4, it says the sower is sowing the word, the word of God, or in Luke 8, verse 11, saying the seed is the word of God. So we can clearly say without a shadow of a doubt that what the sower is seeding is the word of God. I've got one table listening. We're going to work on this. And it's, and it's more than just the Bible. The, the word of God is actually all that comes out of the mouth of God. It was what was spoken when the world was created. In the beginning, God spoke and it was created. But we have here written from Genesis to Revelation, God's spoken word in written form. Everything that God intends for us to do and wants for us is found here. We also see in this next section what it looks like to be... Um, well, here's the, here's the thing where these gospel write, writers write a little different. See Mark 13. And I'll go, try this. See Mark 18 to 13 covers not only what the sower sows, but also where it falls. But then you don't actually get in Mark 4, Mark 8 until you see a verse or two later. So these stories don't always parallel. I'm trying to parallel them. But we see here along the path, that when he who hears the word of the kingdom but does not understand it, the evil one come and snatches it away. In Mark 4, 15, it says Satan comes and takes it. And then in, Mark, in Luke 8, 12, it says the devil, all referencing the same one, the same person who's coming to hinder you from hearing the word of God. But the other side of this is the path itself. It's a hard heart. So when, when we are in a group of, and when we're in church or we're in a setting where there's a bunch of people, someone in this room maybe has a hard heart. You might be here because someone dragged you. Some, you might think it's nice because we have good food. You might think because you might meet somebody. But there are some that will hear this word that I'm speaking and it will literally just bounce right off with no effect, no regard, no retention. There's two scriptures I'd like to point out that we see later on. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, In this case, the God of this world has blinded the mind, minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan has put forth efforts, has put forth stumbling blocks in front of us that will keep you or keep others from receiving the word of God. 
In Ephesians 2, 1, and 1 through 3, he says, And we are dead in our sins, which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. So it's that power, this, what Satan is doing that is deceiving us, leading us, and it says that the Spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you once lived. And this is the world that we were all called out of. No one was born a believer. You might have been born into a believing household, and you might have been a Christian at a young age, but no one grew up, was born a believer. We were all born into sin. God called us out of sin, praise be to God, whether for some of you at a very young age of five, six, seven, and for some of you, it was much later in life. But all of us, all of us needed a redeemer to be called out of this hard heart condition. The next is the rocks. And as for the Matthew 13, it says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediate receives, immediately receives it with joy. This is a, a unique situation. This is the, the, this is the individual who comes to church, has this radical transformation, gets super excited about Jesus, starts signing up for everything under the sun that they can get involved in, and six months later just disappears. Now, now, if you are a new believer and you are super excited about Jesus, yes, keep it up. Stay connected. We got you. But there are some who just seem to become all of a sudden radical Christians. They, they went from one pendulum swing of being way out here into the world of all of a sudden being way connected to Jesus and super excited, doing all this great stuff. And in a short matter of time, when the road gets rough, it's, it's what Jesus literally says. He says, and when tribulations and persecutions arise on the count of the word, they immediately fall away. Th th these are the people who go, you know, I, I, I was believing God for this thing, and I was praying for my mom, or I was praying for this, or praying for that, and all of a sudden, God didn't answer that prayer, and it's like, eh, I didn't really believe anyways. Ah, it was just a joke. Man, I'm glad I didn't spend all that money doing the other stuff. I didn't get that radical tattoo. I didn't buy all these Christian albums, whatever the case might be. But, we'll, but we've seen them. Having grown up in church and being at, from a very young age, I've, I've watched these people who were just absolutely radical. Like, like, wow, I wish I had that kind of passion. But almost as soon as they came, they went. This is an almost Christian. They, they, they look like a Christian. They, would have, they have all the key factors. They, they, you know, they got the WWJD bracelet, and they're carrying their big Bible, and they're wearing the Jesus t-shirts, and they come to church, and they get involved in all this stuff. But as soon as life gets hard, they're like, no, I, that's cool, man. That's cool. I'm out. But look at this. This is Jesus' word, and this is relatively scary stuff. Matthew 24, 9 through 14. And you can see what I've highlighted. It says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. We, by God's grace, living in the United States of America, for the most part, don't have harsh persecution. In certain seasons, in certain places, maybe immediately in your family, or maybe at your workplace, 
or maybe in your group of friends you might face some hardship, but I haven't heard of a, of a Christian being beheaded in quite some time in the United States. The last great tragedy that comes to mind right now is Columbine, when the two young kids went into the high school in Colorado and were calling out Christians and were shooting them. But we don't on a regular basis face this kind of hardships because it says and they will, they will, uh, to tribulation and put you to death. Now we can read these stories when what's happening in Iran, in Nigeria, in Asia, including the Philippines and Thailand and China, where, where Christians are being persecuted for the name of Jesus. And then it says, and many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is the Christian, the almost Christian, whose, whose whole life was based on shallow faith and theology. And when the true persecutions, when the true t- tribulations come, they just drift and they're gone. They're, they're out. They drop it like it's hot kind of bad habits thing. I have no idea what I'm talking about there. But, but it, it is. It is in that moment. It's, it's not the, ooh, you know, this situation is a little awkward. I don't really know if I want to raise my Jesus hand up right now. This is hard stuff. This is when life really, really gets rough. But here's the truth. It says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Our, our salvation process is something that we live out for now till the day Jesus calls us home. It, it is not that we can't have doubts. It's not that we won't struggle, but it is a continuous desire of our hearts to pursue a life after Jesus, even when it gets hard. This is a tricky one. The weeds. As for the what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares for the world and its deceitful riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. In Mark four it says the one who the cares for the world and the deceitful riches and desires of other things enter in and choke out the word. Or Luke 8, it says, He who hears, and they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. We are constantly under barrage in the United States by pleasures and desires and things. You can't watch network television for more than a few minutes without seeing something that's trying to entice you to something better. Whether it be that beer commercial that says for only 95 calories, you can look this good and be at this great party. Or for 12 easy payments of 49.95, you can buy this machine that will become a clothes rack in your living room. Or if you go to this place, or if you do this drink, or if you take this pill, or if you wear these clothes, or if you marry this person, or if you have this job or make this investment, you'll be happy. And this is what the world is constantly throwing at us, day after day. And and, and as I sat here, and I was thinking about this, uh, a, a farmer, there's... 
my wife and I went on a journey a few weeks ago, and we were up in, in, in Georgia, and we went to this uh, little garden, and, and they had this placard, and they were talking about the three sisters. And, and they talk about a, a corn cob or corn stalk and beans and squash. And what you do is you plant these three together. And what happens is as the corn grows, the beans will grow, wrap around it and have something to hold on to. It's it, the, the stick that you would put the beans on. And the squash covers the ground, preventing weeds. And so you have these three sisters that actually live in harmony together because of how they're designed. But if, if you ever come to my yard, you'll see some vines that aren't doing that beautiful thing. You'll see vines that are now pulling branches over. And so you can imagine the sower who's gone out and sowed seeds and the, the wheat is popping up, but these long vines have just called and just pulled it over. And it's, and it's not even able to stand upright. It's not even growing. It's there, but it's, it's, on, its on the verge of death. And it clearly will produce nothing. Unfortunately, these people will come to church. They'll raise their hands. They'll sing the songs. They'll say the prayers. They'll memorize Bible verses. But the moment they walk out that door, everything of this world consumes them. They, they look good on the, on the, on, on, for this moment. They dress up real pretty. They look real nice. They play the part. They should win an Oscar for their, their acting. But the reality is once they're out that door, the world is what they're living for. Jesus said in Mark 16, 24 through 30, 26, it says, Then he said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then this great question, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall man gain in return for his soul? This is not a message against having nice things. The Bible is very clear that each of us need to work. There's no Bible verse that says, sit on your hands. Or as Pastor Craig would say, on your blessed insurance. We are, we are called to labor. There, there's a reward in laboring. There's a reward in having kids. There's a reward in having family. So, so the Bible is not saying don't have a, a house, don't have a car, don't have a good job. It, the Bible says Jesus is on word. A laborer is worth his wage. So if you work hard, get paid well. But what are you doing with the, the money you're earning? Or what are, you, what are you striving for in your labors? Is it to get the next house or the next car or the next outfit or the next purse or the next set of shoes or the next smartphone, next fishing rod? Or, or, or are you considering that my labors serve a kingdom purpose? Because the, the, the person in the weeds is trying to straddle the fence, right? And in Revelation, it's not on there, but it says, I would rather you hot or cold, but you are lukewarm. It's a, it's, we have to realize that there's only two kingdoms in this world and in this universe. There's God's kingdom and there's Satan's kingdom. And the devil owns the fence, so you can't straddle it. 
You, you can't be trying to tap dance going, well, I, I, love, I love Jesus, but, you know, I love... Because that riding that fence is going to hurt. Put it this way. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 and 19. I, it's not going to get any better. I'm sorry. Do not love the world. I could kind of mic drop it right there and walk away, but I, I won't. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So the person in the weeds does not love Jesus, therefore is not a believer. They are an almost Christian. For that is all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And then in verse 19, he writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. So, so all the seeds that were sown and all the people before, the path, the rocks, and the weeds are the people who, who were with us for a season but went out and never returned. This is a strong warning for each of us to hold fast to the truth of God, to stand firm in the faith in Jesus Christ, to, to meditate on the Word, to let the Holy Spirit indwell in you and guide you through this life. Because I promise you, this world is trying to pull at you and try to pull at you and try to pull at you. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. And that's this truth. And now, now here, we pause for a second. We want to pray for those people. You know, it, there's some individuals in this room who... who volunteer and participate in a recovery ministry and when you are battling an addiction there's a lot of in and out so we never quit we don't stop just because someone's caught up in, in a world in a cycle of addiction it is our prayers that are going to deliver them out of it you know I, I can imagine that many of us in this room have been affected by someone with an addiction whether it be alcohol or drugs or gambling or sex that, that we just continue to pray to believe that God is going to free them from it. But truth be told that there are some that will come, that they will participate, they will smile, they will sing the songs, they will get super excited, and as soon as they came, they went. And that's what this Bible truth shows us. That to be in the will of the Father is to, one, love Him, and two, to obey to abide in his will, Who, whoever does the will of God. That is a mark of a Christian. Last part. This is upbeat. We'll, we'll smile here in a second. As for the one, as for what's sown in good soil, this is the one who, bear, who hears the word and understands it. Again, pointing back to John 14, 26. If you don't understand every word that I'm saying right now, or every scripture that we've read so far, that's okay. But if you are trying to make that effort to go, okay, God, I got this, I got that, 
touch by touch, inch by inch. Anyone planted a seed and the next morning you all of a sudden were bearing fruit? No? Good. Okay. Your spiritual life is a lot like that. It takes time. For those of you who've been Christians for a while, and I'm looking at some of you, you would tell, it be, tell me and would testify with me that our Christian faith takes time and it takes effort and it takes nurturing. Because the one thing that I'm really good at at home is killing plants. Why? Because I forget to water them. I forget to take care of them. I'll let them become neglected. Why would we do the same thing to our faith? No one in here only eats once a week. It, it, it just has to become that priority. Not big chunks, but bite-sized morsels, one day at a time, moment by moment. And that's actually why we're here. We're here to grow in understanding. I don't want any of you to not understand. I want all of you to understand. This is a huge passion in my heart to come and to teach so that you will understand. And he indeed bears fruit. And it yields a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, and so on and so forth. So on and so forth. What is this fruit we bear? I think first and foremost, it's how we share the gospel to others. I think making disciples is the command that we're given to go ye therefore into all the nations make disciples. So as you share your faith with others, you are sowing seed, right? So if the seed sown in the beginning is the word of God or is the kingdom of God or, or faith, right? So if we are going to go out and be sowers too, then we are sharing God's word. That's the first thing. But also from that comes a change of behavior. There's things that begin to, to change about us. Jesus puts it this way. John 15. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Anyone ever been to an, uh, an, uh, a wine vineyard or an orchard? I think a row after row of, of, of grape tied up. Well, the, the truth is, is that the, the, the branch... The, the stalk and the branches and the soil can only support so many clusters of grapes. So as the, the grapes begin to bud and as they come in, the vine dresser, out of years and years of training, knows which ones to cut off and which ones to keep so that those that remain come to fullness of fruit. And this is what God does for us. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. God needs to prune your life. He has to cut away those things in your life that are holding you back. Relationships, habits, mindsets, things that you busy yourself in your day with. If, if you spend four hours a day thumbing through Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or you name it, you're wasting your time. And don't tell me you're reading Bible verses. That doesn't really count. Does, does that understand? You get that? This is just a, one example. But if you spend four hours a night binging on Netflix, you spend four hours watching a football game, nothing against football. Nothing against football. But it's priorities. We all have to say, we're all going to give an account to God what we, how, we, how we spent our time. God, I was so busy. Yeah? 
doing what? Oh, I, I, well, I, you know, I went to work and then I had to take care of the kids and then I just was so tired. I just sat down and three hours later I was done watching all of. I had to preach this message myself first. So you're hearing this second. But allow God to prune in you so that you can bear more fruit. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you abide in me and I in you. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. How beautiful is that? That that God's saying that he has grafted us in, that he's taking care of us as, as something precious to him. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The fruitfulness of your life, that, that, that's the, the hard part is, is that person in the weeds, they look like they're doing such great ministry and they're doing great things in the name of Jesus, but they seem to just burn out after a season. Why? Because they're not abiding with God. They're not connected. They're not growing. They're not taking that time to be, to be pruned and to be fruitful. A true Christian continually abides with Christ. So I wrote it out this way, and you can write this down on your notes. A true Christian has an increasing love for Jesus. If you're new to church or new, new to Jesus, and all this might be new to you, and you just thankful to be alive, and you thank Jesus for being alive, that's the start. For others of you in this room who've been Christians for a while, you understand that the love that you have now for Jesus is not the same love you had 30 years ago. Correct? I'm looking across the room to my older Christians saying yes. Because there's an increasing love, and that is a mark of a true Christian. Side truth. You can only fake loving Jesus for so long. You can only fake loving Jesus for so long. And this is part of the weeds. There's a person, because eventually your love for Jesus has to supersede your love for the world. And when you're tested in that and you go, well, I don't know. You can only fake loving Jesus for so long. So a love for Jesus produces a love for God's word. So reading the Bible, spending time in meditation, spending time in prayer. A love for Jesus produces a love for the Bible, which produces obedience. You have to do the word of God. And out of that comes avoiding sin. There's, there's a part of you that eventually becomes disgusted with sin. Spins that you used to love so much now all of a sudden become that thing that you go, oh, I can't even look at that anymore. Because bitter in your mouth. Obedience does two things. It, it changes us inward. We repent and we're renewed. And it changes us outward in our actions and our attitudes towards others. So obedience changes us inwardly through repentance and renewal, and it changes us outwardly in our actions and our attitudes towards others. So the parable of sower shows us the church. It shows us these people who hear the word of God, some hear it go, hmm, that's nice, and walk out and leave. Some hear it and receive it and super excited, 
But all of a sudden, with no root, no real faith, just wither away. And those who play a game for way, way, way too long, but to never bear any fruit. But my hope for each and every one of you is that you will bear fruit. That, that you will learn to share the word of God. That you'll learn to grow in the word of God. And this is why we have a study like this. And we have our other small groups. And this is why we love volunteering. Because getting involved is a way to exercise your faith. Because a lot of the people in this room that are, are leading tables are part of my prayer team. So I know that that is true. And there's ways to get involved and ways to express. So let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for this parable. We thank you for this lesson that we learn about ourselves. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for anyone who might have a hard heart, who has been coming to church for a while and and they've been hearing things and they just either not understanding or they just don't understand how it applies. But Father God, I know that you are the one who turns our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that we might receive the good news of Jesus. For those of us who have received the word but never really grew in understanding, there's no retention of it. There's an excitement about it, but there's no root. Lord, I pray that you can take those rocks and plant that seed into good soil. Father God, for those of us in the weeds, where we seem to be straddling the fence, Father God, I just pray that you, you nurture us, you protect us. Lord, that you clear away the vines and the weeds, the things that will hold us down and hold us back. Lord, for your words is where, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Lord, and you have set us free. And for those of us who are growing in faith, whether a week or, or 30 years, Lord, that we will be bearing good fruit. That we will come to love you deeply and passionately, to, to know your word, to be in community, to serve others. Father God, I thank you for this time. Lord, help us grow. In this love, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you all. Now it's time for tables.